This is the podcast between an old school mentor and a digital mentee on managing and or working with people, navigating a career, growing profits, and not killing your coworkers along the way. Now let's join the consultant, Hayden Shaw, and the millennial who fixes Hayden's iPhone, Seth Tower Heard. Consultant and the millennial, uh, changing directions here a little bit. We've been getting more into having people in various aspects of business kind of uh, troubleshooting, sharing their journeys, et cetera, et cetera. So this was going to be one episode, and now it's another one uh, about pain points within business. Oh, that's a great, Nathan goes, you know what? I've got like ideas for 10 questions I hear business owners, small business owners asking. Well, well great, the I thing we invited you on to talk about, let's scrap that and talk about what are your questions and pain points. So we're going to go that direction, by the way. Um, we, we should set him up a little bit better than that because we both know him, but other people don't. Yeah, introduce him. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan is the president and CEO of uh, Benchmark, which is a, a mental health uh, care provider with um, how many, like with a, a pretty wide footprint uh, in the Southwest Burbs and out of the Southwest Burbs in Chicago, because you're going uh, quite a ways now. Can you? Well, and then they do more even than that. They've got a whole nother division that he heads up. Uh, sure. I'll tell you a quick uh, blurb about us. So we, uh, I run a company by the name of Benchmark Psychiatric Services. Uh, we provide uh, outpatient psychiatric services, counseling, psychological testing, uh, as well as contracting going on site to long-term care facilities throughout the state of Illinois, basically. Um, so that's what we do. So what we were, I'm going to set up the episode that might have been, because we might want to do that someday. Uh, <laughs> we were going to talk about, you know, kind of entrepreneurship and also, um, you know, working in the business. So like, you know, you still are doing patient care and, you know, you're an you know entrepreneur who's jumped out on various ventures, right? Uh, but we'll, you know, so maybe we'll come back to that another day. Instead, we're going to do what's going on right now. Uh, pain points of a business. Uh, we don't actually know what these are going to be. So this is this, and this is probably a lot more Hayden than me. <laughs> Maybe I. Well, I have yet to uh, work with thirty thousand managers. I'm somewhere under thirty thousand. So, there you go. yeah. Uh, so, what was the first one that was on your list there? Uh, the first one was. Well, I think we had a couple. So the first one, we have no no agenda, no run sheet. So it's no, just no run sheet. We don't know what he's going to ask. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to say. Uh, first thing, uh, even I think better. We just talked about. Why do things for the owner move so slow? Um, this is one place where I think uh, Stephen Covey stuff is helpful. Actually, um, Chris McChesney and uh, Frank Covey does a thing called the Four Disciplines of Execution. And back in the day, they had a great way of illustrating it. They said, if you were to take an airplane and tie a CEO on a rope, um, I, I, I tie an employee on a rope that goes about 29,000 feet. The CEO's floating through the clouds going, you know, everything is moving so slowly. The employee on the rope who is bouncing right above buildings and mountains is going, crap, everything's going by really, really fast. And so to the CEO, they're like, I got to phone down. I got to get, I got to go pay back in the day, $25 to be online for seven minutes so I can go send some emails and get people moving. But they're seeing it from up here and the employees are seeing it from down there. And so if a leader will remember that it moving a lot faster to the employees than it is to them, then they can begin to say, what things are you doing that are actually less important than these two things that we need to be getting done. Um, 
Now, on the other hand, sometimes people are just doing the wrong things or sometimes people are moving in slow motion. And if that's the case, that's a different performance conversation. But typically, <coughs> typically good employees are like, oh, well, I got all these other things I'm doing. And so that's a, different in that's a difference in perspective based on how high you are in the organization, typically. If not, it just means there's some, if not, it just means there are employees that aren't moving nearly fast enough and that you ought to give them to your competitors. Okay. Next question. Next question. Um, well, let's stay on that for a second. Yeah. So when, um, when someone says that to you, um, does it matter on the size of the organization? So when we talk about small business, yeah. we're, we're, we're typically talking about, say, what, 50 employees or less? Yeah. The, and often people think a small business is like 15 employees or less. But mm -hmm. yeah, 50 employees or less. And 15 employees or 50 employees really is a big difference in what that means, right. to answer your question. If you got 15 employees, Seth was talking about it in an earlier podcast <laughs> we recorded today, um, that you know, <laughs> if you got 20 employees and one of them doesn't onboard rapidly, you're not dead. If you got three employees and you don't onboard one rapidly, you might be out of business in two months. And so, you know, a, an organization with 15 people, if nothing's getting done, there's a very good possibility two people are responsible for that one thing that's not getting done. Mm -hmm. Whereas in an organization of 50, there may be multiple handoffs. And that makes it harder to track down because it's a process with a number of different owners to it typically. And so every one of them can go, well, I did what I was supposed to do. Well, I did what I was supposed to do. And uh, it ends up, you end up leaking badly. Okay, if you're on the video, I'm, I'm going to move Hayden's mic here in uh, just a moment uh, to be a little closer to him. Uh, you know, I would say that as we start to untangle that a little bit, you know, and I'm thinking more about my experiences in organizations of like a hundred to five thousand, right? Um, yeah. What winds up happening is, you know, if you're a good employee or a good manager, you're feeling the pinch of the CEO wants this. And you're also feeling the pinch of my other managers or, you know, or people aren't playing nice. And man, one of the toughest places to be in is depending on another department, uh, you know, and maybe it's just a, not a manager, it's just a person that's just not getting it done or they're just doing garbage work uh, and you can't do your part without their part. And then you're really stuck between looking like you're whining, letting the CEO down um, or just taking a punch in the face that you shouldn't have to take. Okay, so... The, uh, um, uh, as we were chatting before we began, just throwing around this idea, one of the things Nathan said is, you know, one of my, one of my folks says it is um, retribution that people are afraid of or failing that they're afraid of. And no doubt that comes to it. But, you know, Nathan said, well, I'm not a mean guy. Um, but what Seth just said is where retribution can come in. It's like it's the retribution from the rest of the team. Um, I... I don't want to say that this person rarely delivers to me, but this person rarely delivers to me. And so um, when it gets above 25, it just gets considerably more complex because you got to unravel. Is there breaks in the process? Where is it going wrong? And it's just not a clear thing um, anymore. And, um, you know, uh, Nathan spent his career doing some exceptional work, you know, diagnosing situations and helping people with some complex medication situations and you know if you had imagine you had 13 people you were giving medication to and they all 
um, had different chemical reactions with each other, be like, okay, I got to find a different way to earn a living. <laughs> Whereas the same, that's a similar thing being an owner. It's like, where, where are we? I was working for Williams Gas, and I said, what do you guys do? We put certain amount of um, natural gas into a pipe, and we want that amount to come out the end. Our problem is somewhere along the way it leaks. And when there's thousands of miles of pipe, it's hard to, hard to stop the leaking, and that's really what you're after. And by the way, if you're watching the video, if you, you know, listen to the audio, nothing bothered you, but uh, I had to get up twice to make sure Hayden's mic was good, but I figured you would probably want good audio more than you'd want. Good audio matters say. more than anything else. So I got to so, quit looking at Nathan. Let me, let me, uh, no, you're okay to look at him. You were just bouncing around a lot, which is what I had to fix. Oh, okay. uh, so, um, you know, the, I can't remember who said um, leadership is figuring out who's lying to you least. Who was that? I don't know, but that, I've um, not heard that, but that's great. So, you know, and I used to think, <laughs> I used to view that differently and they're like, oh, well, you know, some people are just scumbags, right? What is probably much closer to the truth is everybody brings some sort of delusion to their career. Uh, and usually it's, I mean, a, a lot of people think that, you know, you're the hero and, uh, um, you know, I'm the hero and the other person is the villain. And then that person thinks it too when, when something's deadlocked. Uh, and it's that whole kind of old adage of like, you know, if, uh, if God hates all the same people you do, then you probably are your own God. Uh, and so that takes a lot of unraveling, especially when you get a couple layers of management away from um, the ground because the organization's grown a couple layers of management. All of that's really well said. I don't think I could add anything to that, Seth. In the level of complexity that happens. We didn't fix anything, but we at least said what it was. Oh, well, all right. If you want to fix it, um, then there's usually, a, 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 if, it, if, if you've eliminated the first two easier things we talked about, leader perspective, employee perspective, and then you've said, hey, the obvious weak links have been dealt with, and you're in a larger organization where, it's, where there's handoffs and processes, then the only way to do it is to is to begin to go okay where is it where are the bottlenecks that's kind of the technical term in the language where uh, in the in the industry where are the bottlenecks and what do we do to release the bottlenecks so not all parts of a process are going slowly bottlenecks are going slowly so where are the bottlenecks who are the bottlenecks and is it a can't do or a won't do or a system won't let me do Many times the system has to be restructured to get rid of the bottleneck. Sometimes it's that the person doesn't have the skills. They can't do it. And then sometimes they have the skills. They just don't have the attitude or the drive. They won't do it. And they're either disciplined or they're helped to go work for someplace else. And so system won't, system won't let me do it. Um, can't do it. Won't do it. And it's a matter of digging in to find the bottlenecks and then moving from there. Now, the, the hardest thing is to get people talking about bottlenecks. And let's say you're in a smaller organization where people are good people and they care about other people and they don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Let's just say I knew anything about benchmark and that might hypothetically be the case. Then they're going to be like, well, you know, it's just one of those things that happens. <laughs> okay, no, we're going to get everybody's name. You write them down. Where do the bottlenecks happen most? I just can't do it, Nathan. I can't narc on somebody. And because um, um, the answer is, if everything in our system's a bottleneck, then we need to blow the whole system up and start over. Um, I don't want to do uh, Okay, well, sometimes maybe they struggle to get their part 
And it's hard to get people who are good people, who are caring people to name names. And so it's just easier to say, where are the bottlenecks? Where are the bottlenecks on our process? And then what has to happen? And then begin to set clear standards for what everybody does when. And, um, and then you can begin to see where the standards aren't being met. And um, uh, it takes a while to peel that away. It is why a lot of organizations are overled and undermanaged because this is painful and tedious. And, you know, we've got um, a, and a lot of entrepreneurs to go back to yeah. your idea of entrepreneurial. A lot of entrepreneurs are like, all right, we've already worked this out. I should not have to think about this anymore. I should go think about new creative problems. We've already solved this. Once we've solved it, I'm so bored to death on it. I don't ever want to have to go and relook at it again. So the tedium of peeling it back and seeing what works, excuse me. And for entrepreneurs, there's like they'd rather have their fingernails pulled out than they would go back and deal with it again. Uh, yeah, I would say that once you get to a large organization too, uh, because I was in a uh, a situation one time where there was kind of like a almost like an open court like treason hearing because one department was doing so bad of like what are your pain points, and I finally got to go in and say, and it's funny because I never got to do any of it. Here's where I'm better than these people, and I've never I can't touch it politically. Uh, yeah. So for example, search engine optimization, which I've since proven time and time again out on my own, I could fix this if you'd hand it to me. Uh, and it never got to, it just it you know it was an organization of hundreds and it could never get to me uh, and it's funny I actually I'm doing something like that with a former employer um, where you know now I'm a, I'm doing some contract work for somebody I used to work for and same thing I saw it when I was in the organization uh, and I couldn't do anything about it for a few years and then uh, you know never thought I'd come back around and work with them again uh, and I got more done in a week than I got done in years of trying to internally have meetings and say hey this is a big deal. Um, I could fix it because there were so many other urgent things for vice presidents okay. and stuff. This is off your question. So who knows what episode we're doing now. But um, uh, we talked about it in a previous podcast, Marshall Goldsmith, quoting the biggest thing he learned from Peter Drucker. So Marshall Goldsmith is you know, considered one of the greatest coaches um, in existence. And so he said it this way. The biggest thing I learned from Peter Drucker is the person who makes the decision is the person who makes the decision. And I think a lot of younger, so millennials, here's some, here's some old man advice. A lot of people are like, well, it shouldn't be that way. And Seth was one of those millennials. It should not be that way. The person who makes the decision is the person who makes the decision. And it's often, as Peter Drucker said, not the person who should make the decision, but it's the person who makes the decision. The faster you accept that, the sooner you can release your sphincter and enjoy your life. <laughs> Now, the iron irony is when Seth got hired to come in, the person who makes the decision was Seth giving advice to the person who could make the decision. And so Seth was now in a decision making spot. And so he could get more done in a week than he could get done in three years because the person who makes the decision is the person who makes the decision. And once you get comfortable with that, you can say, I could fix this, but it's not my decision. And so we will have to go on with crazy for the next couple of years. And you know, this, this kind of, I think relates back to how Nathan got into, you know, what he's doing because the vast majority of people do not do what you do. The vast majority of people in healthcare are, you know, um, it's a, it's a good professional job. They're good, not blowing it all up and taking a ton of risk and going out on their own. And I, I asked you that one time I was like, so because your parents actually were in academia, I kind of grew up in a small business slash farming environment. Um, so I kind of had some ideas and, and you had no, I, I mean, you didn't see it like that. Nobody, 
uh, you're, you know, coming out of academia, you weren't worried about making the next sale so you could make the rent on your office or whatever, right? It's just not that world. Uh, and uh, actually, it was Gal- uh, the um, the Strengths Finder. I just picked up Strengths Finder for entrepreneurs, and they basically said about three percent of uh, people are, um, you know, wired according to Strengths Finder to go start a business. And I think that. Um, if you are that, that what winds up happening is those things drive you nuts long enough and make you angry enough that eventually you're just like, whatever, I'm going to go do it myself. I think that's what has to push you out the door because there's so much risk in some ways. Or you're just like him and just get so bored. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think it's components of probably both and other things. Um, risk is is fun to some people. <laughs> So. <laughs> Which is why 3% of people are entrepreneurs. It's fun to leave a very well-paid job that I got a PhD for. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's great. My wife is really going like, oh, baby, let's do that. Let's give up this well-paying job. And Well, the, the advice there would be, you know, probably do it before you have wife and kids in, in, in most scenarios. So, Yeah, that's great. No, it, it's just You are that 3% of people so. who are like, What's new? So I said to Nathan once, I said, well, how many ideas do you have on a whiteboard at home in your home office? He's like, oh, like seven. He's just wired as an entrepreneur. Um, Give me a couple more questions and we'll so I think the call other, it a day. Yeah, we've yeah. got 12 minutes left just, just so we can pace this correctly. Yeah. The other one uh, probably is, maybe we touched on a little bit, um, is fires. Putting out fires. And I hear this from my friends that are also business owners, entrepreneurs, but also in the healthcare field that own their own practices. It is, they, they, they always, and, and us too, we seem that we're putting out the same fire that we've put out before, mm-hmm. that we've spent the time writing the process mm-hmm. to manage, mm-hmm. but why are why we- Why won't people do the process? Why, why are we doing the same thing again and having the same conversation and the 15 emails about the same fire instead of just executing the plan? Um, if it's any consolation, this happens in every industry. Mm-hmm. So in manufacturing, people say, why do we have these escapes when we have a very clear process? So you're in customer service, call center. We have a very clear process for how we handle this. How did this go wrong? Um, human beings don't follow process as well. I, I, I was in Switzerland with this safety conference, and they're like, we have all these safety processes but we can't pe- get people to do them or supervisors to reinforce them. F- guy, 73 years old, in England, working in silver, not wearing any of his protective gear. A brick falls off the side of a kiln into the molten silver and splashes him. <gasps> his clothing's on fire, and he slaps it out and finishes his work. And then goes... This kind of hurts a lot. I better go check it out. So he's burned in through his shoulder pretty badly. And when, when, the, when the smelting director, the guy who runs the place, goes, why didn't you have on your protective gear? He just said, couldn't be bothered. I've done this for 40 years. <laughs> and so the idea of you are going to burn your own face off. This is silver. People are like, yeah, I just don't. And I, I love what one of the guys that's an engineer and, and, and you know, said, we've realized that there are some people who just won't follow a process. They're wired to the way that if there's a process, they have to do it differently because they see themselves as craftsmen 
rather than mechanics. And we have to invite them to leave because it's not, it's not a safe place for them. And I think one of the big things that happens to go from 15 to 25 to 50 for small business owners is that they had people who were great at 15 where you figure it out on your own and you need a craftsman. And think about what we're saying. Oh, thank you. You were so, oh, thank you for handling that. You figured it out. That's great. It was a fire. You solved the fire. You were literally on fire in your arm and you slapped it out and took care of this patient. <laughs> and now we'll go get you some, some, some silver for your third degree burns. And, um, which was probably a really bad analogy with the person who has a PhD in pharmacology and knows exactly what product you actually should use for third degree burns. But anyway, the, um, um, and so you do all that. And then that same employee keeps doing the same thing when you're 50 people and you're like, um, we wrote a procedure. I know, but I am really good at fires. And so I just wanted to write emails like we used to do. No, I'm sorry, we're not 15 anymore. We're 45 and you must stop. Oh, but I hate working in a place with a lot of procedures and processes. I actually left <laughs> large medical systems in order to come here because it was fresh and entrepreneur and I could be a craftsman. And you must stop or we'll cut off your arms. <laughs> what? Yeah, you can't be a craftsman here. You have to leave. You're dangerous to everyone. You waste all kinds of time and resources because we wrote a process. Let me say something that I think gets a little more, a little tougher, um, you know, because I'm in year one seven people and after years of side work, you know, kind of easing in. Right. This, right. right? <clears throat> so, um, you know, you know, obviously Nathan didn't just like wander into our little studio here. We, we both know him. And so I have somebody that's from, you know, who's gone from one to two to three to four, uh, and gets it. And you've worked with all these different people. Um, I think it's tougher um, to find people to bounce ideas off of if you are, cause we talk about kind of the different elements of our, um, uh, you know, a kind of of the audience listening, right? Once you get to a VP level or, you know, owning your own business and you've got several layers of complexity under you, it's just tougher to find people I think to talk to. I'm not even in the quote unquote mentor space, just peers, uh, because there's so many less people who've risen to that, that spot. Right. Uh, I think that's okay. just harder. Well, a couple of things, a person has to have somebody they can talk to. It's one of the reasons why business owners hang out and talk to each other. Um, it's another reason why business owners hire a coach, because I just need somebody I can talk to. You get to the point where you can talk to your executive team, but even then there's some things you can't talk about when you're frustrated with some of the things that are their responsibilities, like processes or systems. Um, that, is, that is well said, Seth. Uh, Nathan, to go back to your question, very practically speaking, as far as answers go, it depends on your style. A lot of entrepreneurs are... Once I've solved it, I don't want to talk about it again. But instilling and maintaining processes requires some maintenance to it. So a, a mutual friend of all of ours, Tim Harlow, he said, one of the most important things I learned is there are sprinters and there are marathoners and I'm a sprinter. A lot of entrepreneurs are sprinters. Work on a process, it's done. You are dead to me. I don't even want to think about it again. And then when people say, when, when there's leaks in it, you're like, oh, I don't want to, I, I am a sprinter. I have my sprint on this process. It makes me nauseated to even think about looking at it again. And, um, and so as a result, we tend to take pressure off of that before it is truly installed. And what we really have is a document that's written. We have a written process. So what do you do if you're an entrepreneur and you can't stand thinking about it, but you get a call or an email? Two things. First one is you ask what, why, and how. 
three magical coaching questions. All right, what happened? Why did it happen? How do you think we're going to handle it? As the owner, you don't solve it. You solve it, you own it forever, and you will get all the phone calls. You resist the urge to handle it quickly by solving it, because our first thought is, if we're an entrepreneur, I want to get it all, I, 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 you're making me nauseated, I don't even want to think about you, just go do this. Or we get grouchy. I don't know why this is happening again, now just go do this. <laughs> Which goes, oh, well, good, I'm going to get bit, and then I'm going to get told what to do, so it's yours, and you're going to be cranky about it. This is not going to be fun. Instead, we say, what happened? Why did it happen? How are you going to handle it? And then after they talk for a while, especially if they came up earlier when it was smaller, and they go, oh, I'm not going do we have, does this fit the procedure we wrote? Not exactly. Well, tell me what's different about it. Well, not a lot. I just hate following procedures. Uh, anyway, whatever. You can tell if they're making up reasons why this is such an exception. You're like, it really is an exception. You just hate following procedures and want to come up with a new innovative solution every time. And you just keep drawing them back to, I thought we had a procedure for that. Where's it leaking? Oh, I hate procedures. This is how entrepreneurial leaders get people on their team to follow processes without having to spend a lot of time involved in them all the time. What usually happens is it gets, they solve it and then it continues to be theirs. You know, I, th I thought about that. We, <clears throat> we just got a couple minutes left here, but I, you know, I think it's romantic to think if only I had that thing I didn't have. Right. So if only. Oh, no, no, seriously. Um, <laughs> I just love I, I love the word you use romantic, but also romantic often since we're all married. It's like it's romantic to have the woman I don't have. So anyway, that, <laughs> yeah, that will get you into huge trouble. No, what I mean is, um, you know, I, I think about, um, you know, Mark Cuban, um, who. Uh, by the way, emailed me one time. I very rarely name drop, but that was cool. Um, <laughs> in the back, the last page of his book says, if you actually got this far, shoot me an email. And um, he emailed me back and then answered questions I submitted to him from the college class I was teaching for the students. Nicest guy. Um, you know, but he made a, he, he had a billion dollar exit on an idea, right? And most people think if I had a billion dollars, if you had a billion dollars, you probably wouldn't still normally have the experience that you, some things you just have to win in the trenches. That's it. Like I have an MBA. Um, I, you know, and an MBA is great for getting promoted in a business, in a large corporation. Um, a lot of other things you just got to learn by getting bloody. Right. Uh, Let me just stop there. I'm working in the Pentagon and some of the long-term people in the policy parts of the Pentagon are like, you know what? We have some really brilliant people, but they're like, you know, I have a degree from Georgetown. Great. This person who doesn't have a degree from Georgetown has been dealing with policy in Afghanistan or, you know, um, Southeast Asia for the last 25 years. And you may think they're just kind of a government employee, but, but there are not. times when they can pull us out of where we need to be. He said, that's one of, if I had any advice as an old guy for uh, younger millennials, it's don't underestimate people who have learned some things you can only learn through getting bloody. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, you know, as far as the, you know, the speed and processes question, I guess I think about that. Um, when I talk about grow when we talked about growing at the appropriate rate, right? I guess I, I cause I'd love to go way faster. Uh, and in some ways I, I, you know, you know, I, and I've seen businesses do it in my field where they go super fast. They get a ton of new clients. The clients all hate them within seven months and bail and whatever. We'll keep raising our prices and looking cooler. 
<laughs> um, and so that's kind of their thing. It's like we just scorch the earth. I knew a website company that did just that. I was just talking to somebody who's very unhappy with them. You know, we we make the money, and I, I guess one of the things I realized is like um, some things only can probably be attained through fighting it out through the process. Uh, and I I've just kind of gotten more comfortable with that. Like you know I. I love the game. I want to be in the game and some things frustrate me. And the longer I'm in it, the more I actually learn and it'll get out of my way. Because when I said romantic, you think, well, if only I had the Mark Cuban billion dollars, but a lot of people win the lottery and never build a great company. Most of the worst thing you can do with the have is have a billion dollars because you will do what we said in an earlier podcast we recorded today. Hence the same clothes um, is we uh, our admins are like you've got to change clothes they all look the same we're like we're guys whatever <laughs> the, um, um but in the earlier podcast you know we were talking about what were we talking about before i lost complete track of okay well let me let me land it on, on land this, away okay just because Since i remember i don't remember where i was going but it was good yeah <laughs> So I, I have a deep love of video games, which at this point, I, I mean, 35, I'm probably never going to grow it. It's one of the first things I asked Nathan. I'm like, oh, your kids are on Xbox. What, uh, you know, I'm always looking for competitors and teammates. <laughs> uh, but uh, there was a game called Duke Nukem from when I was a kid um, that made so much money they had almost an unlimited budget. Uh, and what happened oh, is yeah, right. that they would, it's kind of a classic business case at this point. They were like, oh, well, we're almost ready for the sequel. Well, our competitor has snow uh, in one level going across. That looks really cool. So now we got to have snow. Well, now we got to have something else. Well, now we went from the Xbox to the Xbox 360. <laughs> so now we got to retool it. Um, they worked on a game for 14 years <laughs> and finally went broke. And so this idea that any one thing is going to make you successful um, or get you the next level. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess remember I what we were it. talking about. Yeah. We talked about a cut. We, solving problems by hiring people where you ought to have processes. Yeah. So Nathan, why is it that things seem like they go so slow? Because sometimes they really do. And uh, sometimes it's the CEO perspective versus the employee perspective. And sometimes there are real leaks in the processes. Why can't you get people to solve, to stick with the process when we've done it before? Frequently entrepreneurial type people will dive back in and solve it out of their deep frustration. And then it becomes a trained uh, uh, behavior where you're still the process owner instead of saying, hey, figure it out. And um, then lastly, because often people who were great at a smaller sized small business don't like the kind of work you have to do at a bigger small business. We just land. Did we go somewhere on this episode? <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I think it was insightful. <laughs> Well, good. If he comes back, it was helpful. If he doesn't come back, it's like, yeah, I got eight more, but I'm, these are going nowhere. <laughs> By the way, we should go ahead and shout out. We got to start shouting out the guests. I realized we didn't do that with uh, Dan uh, on a previous episode, Dan Ilg. We yeah, that's true. You give, have to put his stuff below. Yeah. Um, Benchmark Psychiatric Services in uh, the Southwest Burbs. And I, I've actually said this, I think, on another podcast, and I really mean it. Uh, if you're thinking about starting a business or you just want to level up, I, I tell everybody before you start a business, just go to counseling. Um, even if you don't know why you're there, um, get whatever that thing is. You don't know why you're there worked out until uh, and then go start a business because it's it's just going to be a lot easier. Um, also, uh, obviously, uh, you know, the kind of the standard stuff that people uh, engage in mental health services for benchmark is there in one of the um, the industry leaders in the uh, Chicago area. Of course, if you're not listening here, you probably can't can't do that. Uh, but if you are there, but right I've there. recommended a couple hundred people um, go call them. And so they're great. They really are. I wouldn't recommend them. 
He's Hayden Shaw. Uh, you can check out his stuff at PeopleDrivenResults.com. People and process and generational issues. Um, you can either thrash around or you can have Hayden uh, fix them and get you back to making money and accomplishing your goals a lot quicker. PeopleDrivenResults.com. You can grab his free videos there. Uh, my name is Seth Tower Heard, entrepreneur, uh, syndicated radio host, and sometimes journalist. Uh, you can check out my stuff at digitalprofitfarm.com uh, and uh, you know we do uh, web and social media and podcast stuff that actually make money this is the consultant of the millennial